Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MarkCast. I'm Mark Jorgensen, the host and creator of this podcast. Um, you are in for a very special treat. I uh, was able to arrange to interview Gunnar Garfors. Uh, Gunnar Garfors has become something of a famous world traveler. He wrote a book about uh, two years ago called 198, How I Ran Out of Countries. So he catalogs uh, essentially taking five years of his life from 2008 until 2013, where he went to all of the 198 countries in the world while keeping a full-time job uh, in his hometown, uh, in his native Norway. So um, he, he had already visited about 80 countries up to that point, so he explains that he was actually visiting the remaining countries, which is roughly 100, so it's still very impressive. So we get into all kinds of... Uh, you know, stories about his experience and recommendations and thoughts he has on travel in general. Um, it's a fascinating discussion, uh, especially if you're someone like me that just loves traveling and just wants to get out as much as possible and uh, get to as many countries as possible. So um, I'd encourage you to enjoy this podcast. And also, uh, if you're not aware, um, the Markcast is actually now on iTunes and it's on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you can leave a review or some kind of positive feedback, that's very, very helpful uh, for the show. So um, I look forward to hearing back from you. So enjoy. So Gunnar, um, your favorite band is Depeche Mode. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> do you uh, do you have a favorite song or favorite album from them? I uh, I think I'm a little bit younger than you, so I kind of I'm more familiar with their later work. But uh, what? Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love most of their songs. Pretty um, personal. Jesus is my favorite, uh, but I listen to any um, anything they play. Really, I like their sound. I um, I think it stands out from a lot of other stuff. So so Violator, Violator. I guess a lot of that that whole album was pretty good. Um, you know why? Why do you think their videos, like a lot of their early videos, were so poorly? Done? I don't know. Maybe it's a personal preference, but just some of them just seemed like they could have done much better with uh, some of their videos. <laughs> I think they were probably um, I don't know, using too much drugs to <laughs> <laughs> to make the videos as good as they could have been. You know, uh, but um, I'm, the the song I really, I, the sound I'm really into. Uh, some of the videos, I, I do agree with you, they could certainly have been uh, made better. Uh, of course, I don't know if they were into drugs, but uh, I um, I have a feeling they might have been. <laughs> oh, 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 well, no, no, it's it's well done. I mean, David Gunn, the lead singer, when they were recording that album uh, that came out in 1996, um, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name of it, but their the album came out in 1996. Um, they, they, David Gunn had, like, multiple drug overdoses, I think, where he was taken to the hospital. Like, he died or almost died. So, no, he did. He did. Yeah. No, I'm just talking about when they were actually doing the recordings. Oh, okay. The video okay. recordings. But okay. yeah, I know he had uh, several issues. Uh, although he now he now claims to be clean, apparently, uh, <laughs> 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 and has done for some years. So, um, but no, it's uh, you know whenever I hear Depeche Mode, uh, whether it's here in Norway or in the States or wherever in some country, it just really uh, it, it puts a smile on my face. I I, I love that band. Yeah, I, I don't think they're nearly as depressing as people kind of like, they call them depressed mode sometimes, but I, I don't know. I, I think some of their music maybe is a little bit depressing. Some of it's very happy. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan as well, so. 
you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, there might be some subconscious messages there that are rather depressive, but uh, I I don't seem to uh, <laughs> to catch any of those in that case. No, it, it, it cheers me up. It's, it's different, I think, to to lots of uh, other stuff, lots of other bats. Yeah. Um. So you're in Oslo right now. Is Oslo still the most expensive city in the world? Well, it is in many respects, but of course it depends on how you calculate this and if you know where to shop, uh, you might get uh, better deals. And when it comes to property prices, even though they are ridiculously high, they can't really compete with uh, London, New York and Tokyo and, and some other places. So um, it, it, it all depends, but it, it's definitely one of the top cities in the world when it comes to uh, sorts of food, drinks and, and all the rest of it. The only thing uh, that's, um, that's good for you guys or every foreigner is that the Norwegian crown our currency is is really um, is gone through a beating uh, in the last few months due to uh, low oil prices so we're seeing um, more tourists coming here now because it's actually more affordable than it used to be but it's it's still not cheap in Oslo so yeah I wanted to touch on that maybe a little later maybe I'll just ask you right now um, so what is with Norwegian Airlines and Wow Airlines um, you know they're kind of really uh, marking a new path with this you know transatlantic cheap travel right so that's bringing in more people to Norway I guess for low prices is that Yes, they're doing quite a good job. Um, they're having some uh, difficulties with uh, US regulators, as far as I, I understand, but they're still flying uh, to the US from the uh, UK and Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and uh, and bringing quite some, um, some tourists. They have had some success, I'd say, with, with low prices and in one-way tickets. And um, they're they're gaining market shares as as far as I uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I think that's a good thing. But they're also putting just through their name Norwegian. They're putting Norway more on the map than than what has been the case before. And uh, of course, other people are are picking uh, United or Scandinavian Airlines or British Airways or or, or Lufthansa. Uh, Oslo Airport is expanding as we speak. They're going to open uh, late uh, 2016 a new terminal. So it's uh, it's um, we're, we're seeing yeah. a lot of, of, of yeah. people coming here. The, the bad thing about, I think, um, yeah. uh, people coming to Norway, it's um, most of them, they go to Oslo and they say, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. But they don't. Uh, and, it, and it's quite nice here in Oslo, but sure. it cannot compare to the West Coast and the northern parts of Norway. Uh, so people see uh, beautiful sceneries, but, you know, it cannot compete to the rest of the country and they're really missing out they think they've seen uh, the beautiful parts of Norway and they haven't oh yeah you know that movie that came out a few years ago um, Troll Hunter I'm not, I don't know if you saw it I never watched it actually but yeah <laughs> I, I, I saw some of the promotional stuff and um, there sure are some nice uh, nice shots from there you know mountains and, and forests and all the rest of it fjords yeah. So they show, yeah, some very nice parts of the country. I think that's, you know, one of the nice things. I mean, even though the movie it, itself is, uh, I, don't, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but uh, um, so, <laughs> so um, okay, it, this all began with, with your book. So I just, so all the listeners know, you have this book, it's called 198, How I Ran Out of uh, Countries. And it's, it shows, um, it starts in 2009, where um, you're at a party and you make a beer bet with a friend, whether you can visit um, the rest of the countries that you had not visited or to visit all, each 198 countries. It wasn't totally clear 
Uh, no, I, I think it was in 2008, and yeah, we, I okay. did have a party in my flat, and I told a friend of mine that I was going to visit the, the remaining countries out there. Uh, I'd visited around 85 at the time, and I said, I will visit every country in the world. Uh, and he said, there is no way you can do that. And I, I gave him my hand, and he said, well, at least not uh, before you're 40. So that turned into a bet. We bet one beer for every country. And in the end, <laughs> in 2013, um, he, when I had only one country to go, two days before I was due to travel to the last country, Cape Verde of uh, Africa, uh, he, um, he gave in. And he gave me uh, the beers, 197 beers, <laughs> and a bottle of rum on live national and Norwegian radio. So that was uh, that was quite funny, a, a good way of losing the bet, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you drink them all yourself? No, well, I, I took the opportunity to invite a lot of people to a party to celebrate uh, having visited 198 countries in, in the world. So I think I only probably got to drink uh, like eight or ten of them myself. But, um, you know, it was um, I'd much rather drink beer with, with friends than to sit at home and drink them. And to drink 198 beers by myself would uh, <laughs> indicate yeah. I probably had an alcohol yeah. problem. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I thought the book was great. I, I read it. Um, you you know, it's very exciting. I mean, you, you break it up into a lot of different parts, which makes it very manageable. I think it would be kind of boring just to go through, you know, country by country alphabetically or something. But you break it out with like a number of, I think, about 20 or 25 themes of different, you know, like these are, you know, tourist traps. These are business travel countries um, and, and a lot of other like more exotic and different names for places. Um, the book has been very well received. Um, you've had a lot of, uh, you know, support and, you know, positive reviews coming from travelers all around the world. Um, I kind of living in the U S and living in Washington, DC, I kind of found it interesting that you got, um, effectively the endorsement of, uh, Chelsea Clinton, daughter of Hillary Clinton. She, she endorsed the book effectively, right? Um, can you talk yeah, about she that? Did on, on Twitter? That, was, that came as a huge surprise. Uh, I had no idea she'd even heard about it, but, um, uh, she read about the book and about my travels in, in business insider an American, uh, uh, online, uh, newspaper or magazine. Right. So, um, I was, um, in my, hometown on the Norwegian coast on the west coast uh, and I, I just got loads of uh, tweets from Norwegian people saying, oh you know Chelsea Clinton has uh, you know she's put out tweets about you and uh, <laughs> that was uh, yeah that, that was that was funny so of course that called for for a little celebration so we had a couple of beers on board a boat on on the coast uh, so that was uh, yeah, that was a nice surprise I must say uh, but it, it, it's quite funny because the book came out in Norwegian in 2014 right and English version came out a year later. And, um, of course, Norwegian language is, is sort of limiting the audience anyway. But it sold more books in English than in Norwegian after two or three months. Yeah. Um, and still, I've, I've and also received so many, so much more feedback uh, from around the world than I have done from Norwegian readers. And it's a little bit funny because we have a reputation in Norway for being rather shy. And we don't really um, get in touch with people. We don't really tell people what we mean. Um, at least un not until we've had a couple of beers, maybe, right. or unless we are approached first. Uh, whereas uh, people from other countries, they are they just um, are, are more open. It seems like and, and more willing to to let let me know what they think about the book. <laughs> um, so what? So you met Chelsea when you were in New York, right? Or you met her at some point? 
right? I, I never met Chelsea Clinton. No, oh. I passed by her house and um, and I, I passed uh, passed a doorman uh, signed version of the book. Uh, okay. But uh, I've never met her personally, no. Oh, okay. Um, so that's interesting. And w- the book is sold pretty well, right? And you said it got, it got picked up by a publisher, uh, a larger publisher? Uh, well, in uh, in the English version, is self-published uh, by myself through uh, two different companies in the States. Uh, the Norwegian version was picked up by one of the old uh, famous publishers here. Right. So um, the English version, I, I'd love to have a publisher pick it up. Um, and I've translated it myself. I'm not a native English speaker. Right. And some of the criticism from, from some people is, of course, um, well, I'm not a native English speaker, so there are some uh, there are some typos and stuff in there. Um, and of course, when it when it's self-published, you're really depending on online marketing, people picking it up, endorsing it, and and all the rest of it. So it's it's sold uh, very well from what I could expect. Um, having it published through a, through a publisher would, of course, um, increase its appeal and make it available also in normal bookshops. Now you have to order it from from a bookshop using the title or an ISB number. So it's a little bit more complicated. Have they reached out to you, any publishers, or have you reached out to any publishers to tr- try directly to get in talks with them, or? Well, not in. Uh, I don't have any contacts in in uh, within uh, when it comes to English or American uh, publishers. Oh, I've heard from uh, Brazilian publishers. We're talking about a Portuguese version from Brazil, okay. uh, German publisher, a German version, uh, and also one in Korea and one in Finland right. for uh, for their language versions. So um, we're we're cool. still in talks. We'll see. Hopefully, it will be out in in some other uh, language versions as well. And it would be nice to see uh, see you know properly published in uh, in english as well even though it sold several thousand copies in in english so it's um got a, a you know a decent um distribution out there yeah so i mean do you want to kind of do this like like more as like a, your full-time gig like like just kind of be a travel writer or and just kind of you know selling the book or what, what's kind of your your longer term goal with this or or is there none i mean maybe am i digging too deep in this or uh, oh, well, I'm doing more and more travel stuff. I still have my full-time job at Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation here in Oslo, uh, where I work with uh, radio distribution. Uh, one day uh, every week, I work for the biggest radio show here in uh, at Anarcho Norwegian Broadcasting, uh, where I do travel competitions and and travel um, uh, stories. Uh, so that's 20% of my my work. Uh, I'm still invited to several presentations, conferences, all the rest of it, and I'm looking into writing more um, travel-related stuff. I have this uh, bi-monthly um, column in the biggest uh, Japanese newspaper, and I'm also invited to write the odd uh, story for, for American and uh, British and, and even German uh, newspapers or magazines, uh, magazines as well. So I'm certainly looking into uh, doing more of that, um, and I guess it's, it's only a question about taking the leap, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know, it depends on, depending on where you travel, you, you can live for, um, you can live on almost nothing and, um, and get a lot of, of traveling, uh, travel writing done while you, you're on the road. And, um, and quite, a, quite a lot of feedback has been very, very good and very positive and people, people are asking when's the next book coming. So I, I have a couple of ideas and I've started working on, on one other book. So can you talk about, see. what are some of the ideas? Can you talk about them now or is that uh, confidential or anything? 
Well, it's, it's it has to do with with uh, traveling. Obviously, I'm never going to do a book again about every country in the world. So right. this will be more um, for uh, specific regions. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to go into detail. I think, but okay. but one 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 of the options, one of my de- my ideas, is more of um, of a novel. Uh, whereas the first book I published was about my own experiences and all the rest of it. So I think I'm going to uh, write the next one about. Um, uh, about someone else and it's not all going to be uh, based on, on true facts but of course my travel experience will uh, will certainly help me and, and some stories will probably be uh, based on, on uh, <laughs> my, my own experiences as well. So uh, yeah and kind of getting back into like some of the travel experiences um, in the book so in the book I mean I thought it was very um, it was very open I don't know if that's some of the feedback you've got out but I mean there's a lot of stuff in there that maybe maybe some people wouldn't be as comfortable discussing in these kind of, um, I don't know how you say, darker sides of travel, which I think anyone who's traveled has experienced some of this. You know, you're going around the world and there's a lot of stuff that goes on you when you're in other countries, especially how people view you. You know, people that are local to that country, they might view you differently and they might misunderstand what you're there for. Um, in particular, I mean, there was uh, quite a few instances um, in, in many different countries, so it's not like it was a single country. Um, of you know prostitution, where you were getting you know solicited, where you didn't really know it was someone who was presented to you, and then after a while you figured out oh this is actually a you know prostitution you know they want whatever and um, or, or or racism and stuff like that. Like I mean, how do you? I mean, I guess for you, I mean, how do you get past this as a, as a traveler that maybe like the first few times you kind of encounter that thing? How do you kind of get out of those situations on you know comfortably and just kind of move on? I don't know. Well, you just have to be open-minded, and and I guess maybe in some cases I was too open-minded. Um, I just didn't expect that at all. Uh, but you, you have to learn that when you travel, and especially as a Western traveler in in, in several place in the world, uh, especially maybe uh, poorer countries, um, a lot of people see you as a, a bag of money, yeah, <laughs> a yeah. walking bag of money. Yeah. And understandably so, because, you know, just being able to afford to travel there uh, says a lot. You know, you have a lot more money than most people just by being able to, to actually go there in the first place. Right. Uh, a lot of people will never even leave their own home country. So, um so, so there's sort of, sort of a balance there. You have to be, you, you should be open-minded enough and, and, and pretty much ready to talk to anyone. And at the same time, you should be a little bit uh, suspicious, uh, you know, uh, uh, in many situations, because a lot of people are actually trying to fool you or to uh, push your limits or, or to see how far they can get and, and, and so on. So it's, um, and this is something you build up, it's, it's experience. Uh, so the more you travel, the more you, the better you probably read a situation. And then of course, sometimes you, you read a situation wrongly or um, um, or, or you, you're totally taken by surprise and, and you are fooled or you can be hurt or you can be, uh, you can have a knife, uh, you know, you can be robbed, whatever. There are so many situations out there. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's what I say, you know, it's the same with uh, whether it's, it's football, American football. I mean, if you start playing American football tomorrow, you're not going to play in the Super Bowl in, in, uh, in one year. I mean, it's the same with traveling. You, um, you should probably start start small maybe in your state or in your country and then you go to some neighboring countries so it's not like you should then in a year from now go to afghanistan or maybe somalia or syria uh, you should definitely 
build that travel experience and i think it's the same with with a lot of a lot of things in life yeah i think afghanistan and somalia i mean those countries i think those were about the most dangerous uh situations you had where you had to like negotiate with you know kind of random people on the border and you got interrogated interrogated very aggressively um or was there a more dangerous situation i, I kind of I'm not sure if it was. Or was I that... think uh, I think I've been quite lucky, uh, or I have uh, gained enough experience to. Um, I, well, and be, I think it's a combination. I've been very lucky, clearly, and I also have some experience in, in how to behave and maybe in reading situations. Sure. But I've uh, I've never really felt badly threatened, and and those instances you just mentioned were probably worst uh, the worst uh, things that happen throughout traveling to 198 countries. So, um, but again, I, I, I often often hear about people being mugged. They're being, uh, uh, you know, you, you know, you read about kidnappings. You read about almost kidnappings and and, and you know knife wounds or, or whatever, right. even worse right. stuff. Often this happens to people who don't travel much. Um, and if you then you're walking the street, maybe with a big map in front of you, and you're clearly a tourist, anyone can see you're a tourist, and you they can probably tell you don't really know what you're doing there, and they don't, you probably don't know uh, how you should behave. Then I believe you're more, more you're more likely to be mugged than someone who uh, sort of fits in a little bit better and maybe knows how to how to behave. So yeah, I think experience yeah. is key there. Well, yeah, and I think it's particularly true in, in like the really the high uh, tourist dense areas. I mean, that's where you're really most vulnerable. Often the case, which is a little bit counterintuitive to people. They think you know it's good to be in those areas kind of where there's a lot of tourists, but if you venture outside of that, particularly in more developing countries. Um, you know, people are, you know, a lot more natural and there's not really those people that are seeking to take advantage of those bags of money, as <laughs> you say. So I, I think, you know, that, that can be the case often where the further you venture, venture out and away from the tourist areas, you're actually even a little bit safer um, in many instances, I believe. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. And, um, and uh, because if, if people are not used to tourists, they more see you as a friend, you know, and, and they're very, they're curious. They're really curious. So why why are you here? We never have tourists, never had travelers here. Why are you visiting our, our, our country or our village? Oh, we're really honored to have you here. You know, please come to my daughter's wedding. Please come to dinner and all the rest of it. So it's a totally different experience, in my opinion, to travel outside, as you say, outside these tourist, uh, tourist areas. Yeah, you were were offered i think you were in uh, lesotho or one of the, or swaziland one of the countries uh, down near south africa where you were offered to marry um one of the daughters of one of the the tribal kings or something was that is that right yeah, well, we, I was driving through the area with my sister and we picked up uh, three hitchhikers. It was uh, it was an old woman and two daughters. Uh, they were around 18, 20, I believe. And uh, after a 30-minute ride, I was uh, offered by the mother to, to marry her oldest daughter. And, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow, you must be that charming. That's pretty amazing. So, you know, it, it was it's also and, and she was uh, she was serious and you know she, she pointed out their uh, sort of a mud hut w w where they lived and that would be my home and and she said you know the the, the father was the chief in the village and all the rest of it and, and i could then inherit this position uh, apparently um i uh, i politely uh, declined but wow. of course this also the situation How and especially my it? sister was not too happy about it you know she was afraid i was going to leave her which i obviously would not have done any in either case but uh. Uh, um, you, you get into these situations, and 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 you know, it seemed like they really meant it. They they were sincere, and and uh, for whichever reason, whether I thought I, I had a lot of money, maybe it, it would be a, 
a good status for them to have um, a Western person right. marrying? I don't know. But um, and that's always the problem when you come into a new culture. You don't know exactly what what things mean, and you're almost 100% likely to go wrong repeatedly when it comes to what things mean and, and what, what... Yeah, I think many instances, uh, at least from my experience, is you, you got to kind of know at least when you've kind of started to go wrong so you can at least catch it, you know, before it gets, you know, worse or you can try to, um, you know, kind of mitigate the situation if you've done, you committed some kind of a faux pas or cultural mistake. Um, yeah. Yeah, just kind of capture what, okay, well, that was wrong and you can quickly track back what happened. So, um, so also talking about that, what do you think prevents people, um, you know, obviously money is an issue, right? And obviously time to travel. I think in you know, New Norway and most of, most of Europe, you know, there's four or five, six weeks of vacation for most people. So there's money, there's, you know, free time to travel. You know, that's obviously a barrier for many people. Um, but beyond those obvious barriers, um, what are some of the main things that keep people from getting to, um, you know, 40 or 50 or 100 countries? You know, is it cultural limitations, physical fitness? Is it, you know, just prejudices, you know, innate prejudices they have about the world and they just, you know, a lack of curiosity? Uh, you know, is it like some kind of inborn curiosity gene that, you know, kind of compels people to explore? Or what, what do you think it is? Well, I think it's a combination. I think uh, well, lack of knowledge about other countries. Uh, right. You don't know much about them. What you read in the media is usually uh, negative things. It's bombs and it's terror attacks. And then you sort of think that, oh, this applies to any such country. Um, so it's sort of, it's in a sense, essentially it's fear. It's fear of leaving your comfort zone. It's fear of seeing something new. Right. And and you see people, there's no, I would, I don't want to go there. It's, it's a big slum. You have lots of poor people. Uh, but people are happy to sit on the beach and, and enjoy their cocktails and really have a great time. They, they know the slum, it might be on the other side of the island or in the neighboring country. But as long as it's sort of out of sight then it's it's fine um so i think it's it, it, it's it's about being afraid of, of leaving leaving their comfort zone and yet i think that's that's really um a refreshing thing to do <laughs> you know to push your own boundaries and to uh, to to see something new i think if you're not willing to do that you're never really going to experience anything that you haven't seen before uh, and even some people, we, we, you know, a lot of Norwegians, a lot, I'm sure a lot of Americans and, and Euro, other Europeans, they um, they go to the same holiday place, resort hotel or whatever, whatever it is, for maybe every every summer holiday for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. And they're perfectly happy. And they would never want to do anything else because they know the people, they know the sorts of food, they know the area. Uh, but I would I would challenge them to, to just once try a different place. And one, they well, what do you, what do you well, what do you say to them specifically? I mean, like, do you kind of just say like, well, hey, you can have a much better experience doing this, or do you just encourage? No, no, no. I, I just encourage them to go somewhere else one time because either they will love it and say, wow, I, I can't believe we haven't tried somewhere else before, uh, you know, and they they will get a new experience. So I'm just trying to tell them to to go somewhere different. Um, so either they will love it, or number two, they will hate it. And at least then they will love their initial place even more the next time they go there. So it's sort of a it's sort of a uh, no lose situation. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've had a number of those conversations uh, where there's just a lot of people that just they see no value in really venturing to someplace new. And um, I I don't know I 
I guess maybe that's a good strategy. I could try that out. <laughs> yeah, <kind laughs> well, of, actually, I think it's a great thing because um, I, I love, uh, what do you call it, Tartar tourism. I love these resorts. I, I love touristy areas because these areas, these ways of traveling keep a lot of people away from the places I want to go to. So, uh, you know, being, an, uh, you know, being rather selfish, uh, <laughs> you can also look at it that way. You know, it sort of keeps um, a lot of other areas exciting without a lot of tourists because most people go to uh, to where there are lots of other other people. And so let's talk about just kind of like travelers that are in your sphere. Uh, um, you know, how many people have actually visited every country in the world? I mean, I don't think it's a big number of people, right? I mean, I think it's two figures. Uh, there is uh, there's a Greek guy who's keep, sort of keeping a list yeah. of um, of people who who he has found out and has visited. Uh, well, he he counts the UN countries, 193, right. and he, he's somewhere between 50 and 90, I believe. Um, I'm not sure if he got all of them. Uh, I, I've I've looked at his list, and a lot of people there are quite old, uh, and it seems like uh, quite a few of them have missed out. The like South Sudan, the the, the news country, for right. instance. Right. So I don't think anyone really knows, but I'm guessing it's two figures. Two figures. Okay, so less than a hundred people. I, I, I believe it's less than a hundred. And then I'm gonna, I, I get in, I get contacted by a lot of people, uh, and especially the last couple of years when we yeah. see, you know, uh, it's cheaper to fly as you mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, it's easier for to to get visas to many countries. You can now often get a e visa uh, online and and all the rest of it. So you, you have a lot of people that are actually aiming to visit uh, every country. So so I see a lot of people. They are uh, they're having they're setting hundred countries as a goal and then you have you still have, have more and more people that that really wants to do 198 uh, how many of them that will actually manage i'm, I'm not quite sure about <laughs> um well i i guess i mean you <clears throat> it seemed like you did some kind of a social media campaign where you're trying to encourage people to up their country count to get it to 50 or to get to you know 100 or 150 <laughs> or whatever right i mean is that has that been kind of a goal of yours to kind of have people follow in your footsteps or well, I again, it's it's about challenging them, challenging people to um, to expand, to, to to challenge their comfort zones, and to expand their horizons. And you know, I think have you not been outside your own country? Have you never travelled abroad? You're really missing out, uh, one on on experiencing different different cultures, but also to see your own culture, your own country from from the outside. And this especially applies to uh, people from from the Western countries of the world. Right. Uh, and we are, you know, we have good infrastructure, we have decent uh, salaries, we have holiday, we have the, the means to travel. So we are in sort of this kind of a bubble, the, the bubble of Western civilization. And if you've never exited that bubble and, and looked back inside from the outside, I think you're, you're really, really missing out. And and I'm, you know, of course, Norway is not the, the biggest country in the world, but I've traveled to a lot of places in the Pacific, in Asia, in Africa in particular, even in South uh, America. Uh, even in North America and you know, some places in the Caribbean, they've never heard about Norway. They, um, wow. Some people haven't even heard about uh, Europe. Uh, so it's, wow. it's like, wow. Uh, and we think we are the center of the universe. I mean, every, everyone thinks so. Uh, people in, in Chad or in Paraguay or, or Bhutan or, or Tuvalu, they also think they're in the center of the universe. But we are so accustomed to this thought that we are and, and believing that inside this bubble, it, it's quite dangerous, especially if you never 
if you're never able to actually look look at it from the other side. So that's also what I'm I'm trying to get more people to do. And it's not about visiting 198 countries or, or 100 countries or, or 50 countries, but it's about having a goal, uh, and it's about wanting to expand this horizon. So if you've been to three countries, maybe you should set your goal at five or ten. Have you been to 25? Maybe then you should set it at 30 or 50. So it's it's uh, it's more to you know encourage people to to set these goals and and to to see more and i think this this calls for bigger and greater better understanding between people uh, it lowers uh, conflict levels i believe it it calls for understanding between uh, yeah not only cultures but religions uh, you know less uh, risks of war and, and it's all of this that that i think traveling um, enables in in so many ways yeah, I mean, I mean, it does sound a little bit cliche, um, what you said earlier, but like the more you travel around, you realize just, you know, how human everyone is. And, you know, they all kind of have these, uh, or many people have very similar um, perceptions of, you know, hey, I'm the single, I'm the center of the world. And you kind of realize how common that is. Um, so as far as travel research, um, in your book, it seemed like, you know, a variety of research, and that's kind of been my experience. There's, you know, a variety of sources are good. Um, but there's, is there any websites or, you know, sources that you found have been particularly reliable to go to um you know obviously like the lesser visited countries of the world you know the outside of europe outside of you know some of the main tourist destinations um what are some resources that you could recommend for listeners that you know you found particularly reliable um sources or is well, I, I often use, um, well, I don't do too much research, uh, to be honest. I never use guidebooks, but what I try to do, it's always good to have a, a sort of, to do some background research, at least, to know right. a little bit about uh, customs and cultures and religion, for instance, and maybe the, the, the politics of the country. So I, I often, and of course, you want to know what what, what, it, what it's possible to do there, uh, perhaps. So I use uh, Wiki Voyage quite, quite a bit. I also use, uh, well, Twitter and uh, Instagram and, and even Facebook to, to search up and, and find people in various countries. I use couch surfing to get in touch with people, oh, yeah. not necessarily yeah. to get a free uh, sofa, even though that's that's uh, nice and convenient and, right. and, and, of course, free occasionally, but often to get in touch with people, just ask them for a coffee um, and, and talk to people who actually live there, what is worth what, what is worth doing. To read something in a, in a, a travel guide that might have been uh, usually written by a foreigner right. i.e. a person not from the country in question having visited for two days or three days or maybe a week uh, he or she has, visited, has seen this and that and got in touch with certain people and they, they're recommending something that, that might have been relevant or something that was part of their uh, that that was that was what they felt was good maybe one year ago maybe three years ago, yeah or, or sometimes years. they're just like compiling what a bunch of tour guides put together at least that's what it seems like to me or something no like absolutely and and of course if you take Lonely Planet which is the biggest one and, and the one that most people are are using uh, if you follow what's what's written there you end up just sort of walking this trail you walk from yeah. uh, from <laughs> A to B to C to D and yeah. you do exactly the same as every uh, all all other tourists. Um, yeah. And you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a you know, rocket scientist um, if you own one of these bars or restaurants or hotels and you realize that, wow, I'm getting a lot of new foreigners visiting me. <laughs> so in, in a week or three, you're going to have to, you're probably going to increase your prices with, with 30% or 50% sure. or even double them. And then you can say, yeah, but it's a cheap country. I'm from America. I'm from Norway. I, I can afford that. Yeah, yeah. of course you can. But uh, locals 
um, will notice this immediately and they might suddenly stop going there. So in the end, you're actually traveling together with a lot of other foreigners um, and the places you really want to see, you know, when you want to get in touch with locals, the locals are no longer there because they've been scared away by by price hikes. So <laughs> so you're going in, the, in this trail with a lot of other people. Uh, prices have, have gone up, locals have disappeared. And of course, when the locals disappear, um, these places are no longer as cool as then as as they were when this travel book writer was there, you know, uh, yeah. uh, three months or three years ago. So it's it's sort of this vicious circle. So I, I if I if I find a, a travel guide, I read it uh, just to find out what I'm not going to do. <laughs> what should I avoid? So so that's what I use travel guides for. If I if I stumble across them, I I never buy guidebooks myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was referring more to like internet resources, um, less to like guidebooks and stuff like that. Because I mean, I, I'm similar to that. I've I've never really bought a guidebook. I don't think. Um, uh, I mean, I've I've consulted them. I've I've looked at them just to kind of see. Oh well, what's out there? But um, what, what what about couch surfing? I mean, how do you think? How do they make such a community of kind of like-minded, interesting travelers? I I found it to be just. You know, in almost any city, there's kind of like they've really tapped into a certain branding or something of just finding people that kind of just know their place and just love to travel. Uh, do you have any ideas of how they were able to tap into that or or? Well, couchsurfing has um, uh, it used to be really good. Now okay. it's not as good anymore because okay. Airbnb has sort of taken over a little bit of this. So people are instead of uh, giving away a sofa, they're now hiring out a sofa, yeah. which is um, uh, totally understandable. But no, I I love this uh, thing about couchsurfing. Not charging, but it's about meeting people. How they managed to do that, I think that was uh, they were there at the right right time. Uh, traveling was getting cheaper. More people would more more people was doing it um and and you have a genuine interest uh, by people out there to get in know with people from from other cultures so instead of of traveling themselves uh, they they welcome people from from elsewhere to to learn about uh, to learn about their uh, well these other countries so these other places and of course a, a lot of people and I've I've had people uh, couch surfing at my place I've couch surfed I've met loads of people out there through the website and what I I see is that uh, a lot of people are they're accepting couch surfers and then they're um, sort of doing this uh, using this as research and then they know someone in this country because they've had them visit themselves and then they go visit there because they then suddenly have some sort of an anchor they sort of have a safe zone or they know someone in this this dangerous foreign country that they can actually visit kind of getting back to like you know everybody thinks they're at the center of the world um i I have looked into at least from a traveler being a traveler if you're interested in traveling the world um europe is um i believe easily a, a better place to be um to travel just in terms of, you know, because you have Africa is closer, you're closer, you're like within a two hour flight to get, you know, almost anywhere in Europe, um, two to three hours, you know, which is about 50, 60 countries. And then, you know, obviously Asia um, is only about 12 hours away. Um, and U- U.S. and a lot of South America is only about 12 hours flight. So you never really get that far away from anywhere. Um, whereas like the U.S., um, you know, it's it's about six, seven hours, you know, to get to most of Europe. Um, you know, and the obvious time zone differences, it, it puts a lot of barriers out there and, um, you know, less, less vacation time, you know, more vacation time in Europe makes it a little easier. I guess, I, I, I guess there was a question, <laughs> there was supposed to be a question in there. So, um, I mean, aside from Norway, um, and it can be a European country. I mean, what, what is another country that you think would be, um, very as equally conducive to travel, um, as Norway or, or better for traveling? Um, it can be a European country or a non-European country. 
Well, if you look at the geography, um, yeah. and you can look at the airlines, uh, and you right. see the airline that flies to more countries than any other, and that's Turkish Airlines. It's Istanbul. It's oh, sort of in the middle okay. uh, between Europe, Asia, and Africa. And yeah. you have, you yeah. know, you have, uh, and it's it's fairly far to North America and South America, but still it's within reach. So um, I, I would say Turkey is, is really, and Istanbul is really ideally located in, okay. in that respect, both with uh, when it comes to the number of flights and um, 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 and uh, travel distance, as, as you mentioned. Uh, but of course, if you, if, you, if you look at the uh, average income and all the rest of it in, in Turkey, that's much lower than, than here in Norway. And we see that Norwegians, um, well, our neighbor, Sweden, uh, we travel, every Norwegian travels for twice as much as every Swede every year. So right. so Norwegians are really uh, up there being the most avid travelers in, in the world when it, when you look at um, uh, money spent, of course. Right. Um, if you, I'm not saying anything about being more adventurous than other people, just just looking at the, the, uh, the amount of money Norwegians are using. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess I kind of... Istanbul. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think their vacation times are pretty, uh, fairly generous there. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with how much vacation time they have. Um, I, I guess just kind of like wrapping it up here, because I'm sure you're probably busy. Um, but uh, so I wrote this article a few weeks back where it was um, this concept I came up with um, about cities. So I, I put, you know, it was like the eight cities or, or not the eight cities, but eight cities that are worth at least a day of your life or more. What do you think about that concept of either for a book or for an article or something like that, where it, it lists like maybe 10 or 25 or, or something like that, cities that are worth a day of your life um, or more? You know, do, you, do you think that's something? I think it's kind of a clean kind of for kind of like business kind of travelers and people just interested in traveling in their free time um, that might kind of hit with like the kind of younger zeitgeist of, you know. No, no, absolutely. No, I, I love it. And if you could, um, no, it's a great idea. And if you could just sort of spread it out uh, throughout the year as well, so you could do, you could do twelve, one city a month, or even two cities a month uh, for for a weekend break. Uh, I mean, then you really, uh, <laughs> you really might be able to inspire someone to actually do this as well. I think it's uh, it's definitely something you can do. And you, you find all these exciting cities. I, I, you know, I'd really like to see uh, other cities than those I would expect on that list you know <laughs> yeah. but I, I think it I think it's great. I, I recently wrote for thrillist.com I wrote this um, article about my my top 20 cities uh, in the world uh, well it's a small uh, a short paragraph for each um, each city and this attracted uh, a lot of interest from readers it, it had I don't know half a million uh, hits or whatever and a lot of feedback from from people some were really like oh that's that's amazing most of them were like ah yes my city is on the list and it's like, oh it, it's, it's yeah. amazing yeah <laughs> Whereas others were really, oh, I didn't see that one. Um, I, I didn't expect you to mention that city. That, that's really interesting. So, and I, th I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I, I think one, one point of it, I think, is I, I try to, I, I have a lot of arguments with people sometimes with, you know, you try to say, like, you know, is it worth going to a place if you're only there for, like, you know, a day or less than a day? And uh, I've been trying to argue that, you know, if you can stay at a, a, another city for maybe six hours or, you know, ten hours in a city, you can really get a lot, a surprising am amount of an experience. Yes. In a short Absolutely, I, I totally agree, and especially if you, uh, what I tend to do, uh, I, I walk. 
I, instead of taking the, the metro or, or a bus or a tourist bus, or whatever, I just walk and I get a totally different feel of, of the city and I can walk into the small alleys and, and not only the big, uh, the, the main streets. So I think that's, uh, I, I, I do agree with you. And it, of course it's worth going to a place, even if it's only for uh, six or 12 or 24 hours. I, of course, you, you're not going to get uh, an expert on the city, but you're getting a taste of it. And um, this will, in many, uh, in most instances, make you want to go back. All right, Gunnar. Um, anything else we didn't cover? I had a great time talking. Uh, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Plug anything? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we covered quite a lot of, of ground there, Mark. So um, uh, no, it was. Um, it's nice of you to get in touch. Really, that's. Um, and thanks for uh, for your very positive comments about my book. That was uh, <laughs> that was very nice of you. Okay. All right, man. Well, I'll edit this and I'll post it, and uh, you know, hopefully, we get a lot of listens. So, sound good? Sounds perfect. All right. Take care. <laughs> okay. Take All care, right. Mark. Have a, see ya. Bye-bye. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That's the show. Um, I had a great time talking with Gunnar Garfors and uh, learned a lot. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, please leave a review on iTunes or leave a review on SoundCloud. Tell your friends about the show. I uh, really want to get the Marcrest growing to uh, more people. So uh, thanks a lot and uh, have a good one.